welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and today we're going to talk a little spring turkey hunting. You know, yesterday was April Fool's Day. It was also Easter, and so today's the April the 2nd here as I'm recording. And I tell you what, I feel like today is April Fool's Day because I woke up and uh, we had a beautiful day here in Pennsylvania yesterday. It was probably in the mid-50s. Had some sunshine, enjoyed our Easter. I woke up this morning to about five inches of fresh snow out my bedroom window, and I thought, you have got to be kidding me. Today, my 12-year-old son was supposed to have his first day of Little League baseball practice, and needless to say, that's not going to happen. And it doesn't feel a whole lot like turkey hunting. And I got myself a spring cold, but in spite of all that, we are going to talk spring turkey hunting with none other than field editor Eddie Claypool, a turkey killing machine. Uh, you've never met a turkey anywhere that was the mental equal of you, Eddie. You are a regular P- PhD of of foul shooting. <laughs> so, welcome, welcome to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that compliment. Yeah, you know, I mean, they have brain the size of a walnut. So when I tell people, you know, that Eddie Claypool can outsmart turkeys, you know, from coast to coast, that means your brain is at least the size of a, you know, a Granny Smith apple or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I hope so. I think it's shrinking as I get older, though. Well, I'll tell you what, man. You do kind of pile up a mess of turkeys every year, and of course, you're ex- hunting exclusively with the bow when you do your turkey hunting. You know, there's a lot of people who are avid bow hunters, and maybe they chase turkeys with the bow sometimes. And sometimes, you know, I know a lot of bow hunters, and I'm sure you do too. And they love bow hunting, but when it comes to turkeys, it seems like they like to pick up the old shotgun. You know what I'm saying? Sure, and I don't blame them, you know. Sitting in a blind, you know, unless you hunt them just straight up one-on-one in the open, uh, sitting in a blind can get a little tiresome and you know picking up a shotgun and taking after him once in a while doing a little run and gun there's nothing wrong with that i mean you know fill the freezer <laughs> yeah for sure but you've kind of perfected your system when it comes to bull hunting and so that's why you know i'm kind of excited to talk today because i think you've got a lot of good wisdom for folks who are out there you know maybe some things they can do to be more successful as a turkey bow hunter um you've kind of gotten I call it your your turkey trot, or or I don't know what you want to call it, but basically Claypool and the crew, you know, tend to load up every spring. It seems like in recent years, and you guys just hit the road, and you might hit three or four different states before it's all said and done, and you're just kind of uh, busting butterballs here, there, and everywhere. And I don't know how many turkeys you've ended up killing the last three or four springs, but you must you must try and tag, you know, anywhere from uh, four to six birds a spring, huh? Yeah, I'm pretty blessed. I, you know, I, in my older age, I have more time than I have brains and money, so I get to spend the time out there, and that's what I enjoy. Springtime, I, 
most all of my adult life, I had to work six, seven days a week, 10, 12 hours a day during the springtime because as a construction worker, that's when we would have all of our big surges of work was in the spring. And so I didn't get to turkey hunt hardly any as a younger person. Now that I'm older, I get to enjoy spring for a change and take it easy. And so we just make a little two or three state round about each year, sometimes, you know, maybe three or four states, but um, it can be done. Uh, there's plenty of turkey hunting opportunity out there in most of the states, and, uh, you know, a lot of the deer hunting is getting wrapped up now to where you can't get to it, but a lot of the people, the landowners even, will still let you turkey hunt, and there's still plenty of public, and then a lot of the central states and western states have lots of walk-in type hunting uh, that's accessible also so yeah i get to go after quite a few birds and see a lot of really varied country and just enjoy you know springtime in the plains absolutely and uh so why don't you give me a little taste of what's on your agenda for this spring where are your travels going to take you in 2018 well, I, I applied for and received an Iowa tag, and a friend of mine actually has a little bit of ground up there, so I will get to access a piece of private up there. It's not very large, about 160 acres, I believe, and it's um, good country, though. A lot of birds on everybody's property around, and I have not yet hunted this particular piece of ground, so it'll be a learning experience for me, but um, looking at it on the aerial photography it looks to be something that won't be real hard to figure out it's ridges and uh, deep hollows and mainly wooded and there's only two or three good openings on it so i think i know without even a lot of to do or to you know waylay a bird in the middle of the day in one of them openings and then from there i'll head west crossed over into nebraska to some of the old stomping grounds i've been visiting over the years i I've traveled all over Nebraska from northeast to northwest to southwest and back to the southeast chasing birds. And uh, I had a lot of success on public ground in Nebraska, and I've had a lot of success knocking on doors and gaining access to birds. And uh, it's a pretty liberal limit there. You have three birds you can kill in Nebraska, so maybe I'll fill those three and maybe... I will just feel one. I'm getting more to where it's not the numbers anymore. Um, sometimes they come in there and sacrifice herself and I'll pile them up. But, you know, I might just set a limit of not doing that this year because, the, you know, the Merriam birds are sometimes very, uh, you know, uneducated where I hunt them out in the middle of nowhere. And if you get two or three of them in there, you're liable to be able to kill them all at one time. And it's a little bit... You know, gruesome to do that. So I think I'll set myself a limit this time and not shooting but one bird here and one bird there and taking my time a little bit more to enjoy the country. And then from there, I just usually drop straight south down into Kansas. And uh, I have some family dirt down there, about 60 acres that my daughter owns that has a a habitat on the back end of it where the turkeys will come and go on their daily travels. So I'll usually set up there on the wooded hill and uh, try to harvest a bird or two. I think I'll try to get Peg in on some action this year. And, uh, you know, maybe you'll show up too. So hopefully you and I can run around a little bit there in Kansas and 
chase the birds. Yeah, you never know. And I know that you're aware of uh, several good walk-in areas not too far from your daughter's place either. So there's a pretty good resource yeah. of public land uh, there in Kansas as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And not only public, but that walk-in program, you know, Right. It's technically, yeah, technically that's private land that has public access. So uh, yes. lots of lots of little hole in the wall spots, but they're they can be very productive, you know, if you know where to go. Yeah, I've, I've reaped a lot of benefits off the walk ins in Kansas over the years. I've killed a lot of my birds off of them. I didn't have any access to my family type ground until just the last year or two and so I've used the walk-ins extensively and uh, don't overlook a lot of public ground there in Kansas too there's more of it than you know about you just got to dig deep get in the game and fish regs and dig deep and get in, get on uh, programs like Onyx Maps they you know their overlays for Google Earth and stuff are invaluable for looking up hidden and unknown pieces of ground that can be accessed mm-hmm now, you mentioned a couple things, Eddie, as you uh-huh. were talking, that I'd like to come back and dive a little deeper on. You know, one thing that you mentioned was this whole idea that, you know, relative to whitetail hunting especially, you know, turkey hunting yeah. is still, um, I don't want to say it's not commercial. I mean, certainly right. there's plenty right. of outfitters who sell turkey hunts, and Lord knows there's uh, a million and one, you know, turkey calls and other turkey hunting products that you can buy out there, but you know, relatively speaking, it's it's not, you know, near the competitive game, I guess, that deer hunting is in terms of, you know, I mean, if, if you have somewhere where right. it consistently produces big 160, 180-inch, 200-inch whitetails, you know, good luck getting in yeah. there, you know, without some right. money. But, you know, there's right. still... You know, there's still plenty of places where you can hunt turkeys. How many how many other turkey hunters do you typically even run into when you're out and about during your springtime excursions? You know, particularly in those those Midwestern states, you know, where there's a lot of open plenty of ground, lots of open country. Yeah. No, it's it's uh it's pretty well uh you know, open game, really. I mean, honestly, the season's so broad and the country's so big, uh, especially, you know, Nebraska from east to west and north to south is such a varied habitat that there's anything there for anybody from, you know, easterns in the east, rios in the middle, and marins in the west. Come up into the northwestern Nebraska country, which is more mesa-like and mountainous with pine and you know, you get up in the country that has even elk and some bighorn sheep up up in there. It's, you know, the Pine Ridge country up in there is beautiful habitat. And then you have your farm country in the southeast where, you know, it's just typical Midwestern farm country. It's classical wood lots interspersed with, you know, the farm agriculture. And, you know, there is no end to the opportunity. Uh, you know, you spread out a few people over all that and you just, I generally speak and have very little to any problems with other hunters uh, even on the straight up public ground uh, I'll run across the occasional out of stater here and there and the locals most of them it seems are very rarely if ever on a walk in or a public they always have access from farmers ground that you and I probably won't be hunting so I just have very little competition and uh it's not something that I factor into my 
my timing, you, they they do have early bow season uh, that I have took advantage of, and you will absolutely not see anybody then. Uh, it's just early enough that you could have some weather problems on the you know the Kansas and Nebraska type early bow seasons. You have to coincide your trip with a you know four or five day spell of good weather if you can. Right. So yeah, that's another thing I was going to ask you about. You know, how many of these states that you typically hunt turkeys in have an archery only season versus just a general season you know do you exclusively hunt in archery seasons or do you also chase birds uh during times when you might actually have uh you know some shotgun hunters out in the field as well yeah i I don't let it affect me because like i said the competition so minimal over the last dozen years i can't even hardly think of times i've had other people come in on me and mess up a hunt or anything or have any other you know thoughts about having to move my hunting around other people so i even during the shotgun seasons i don't have a problem with people so i i've gotten to where i enjoy the spring weather and the newness of life that's coming onto the country and so i i will always usually wait now until later in the season it's always shotgun season and I used to take advantage of the early bow seasons, but I got a little bit tired of, you know, the dreary, colder and, um, you know, yeah, I know you like to take a lot of naps in your blind, and it's not as easy. It's not as easy to take a nap when it's thirty degrees, is it, Eddie? No, you're wearing your, you know, your insulated deer hunting clothing and sock hats and stuff, and so yeah, I'm just as I get older, I'm more into the fun and the pleasure of the outing, and then the hunting is, uh, you know, we're just a kind of a friend's benefit of my uh, enjoyment of Mother Nature. Now, another thing that you mentioned that uh, I thought was interesting, uh, you know, you talked about having looked at, you know, the area that you're going to hunt in Iowa this year, and you've never been there, uh, but you scouted it, you know, by looking at the aerial photos and topo maps or whatever, and you already had a pretty good game plan. I would imagine you do that, you know, pretty much anywhere you're planning to go. Tell me what your routine is for scouting you know ahead of time online and how do you identify areas that you think look promising uh you know for a spring spring turkey hunt and how does that help you to narrow down you know what you're going to do once you actually arrive in country yes yeah aerial photography satellite imagery whatever you want to call it is invaluable uh I, i i hesitate to think where I might be in my hunting career had I had all of this stuff back the first 20 or 30 years of my bow hunting life. Um, but it, nowadays, you can, you know, virtual scout anywhere, just through Google Earth or whatever. And, uh, you know, it, if you put that in conjunction with land ownership status, like, you know, an overlay from on X maps, like I talked about, it's just incredible what you can accomplish in, on picking out good places to go before you ever have been there. Um, we all know that nothing will substitute getting to an area and seeing, you know, firsthand what's going on. But I've been so many years picking places, you know, cold turkey, uh, cold turkey, uh, by not having all this 
technology and going there and then finding out it wasn't a good spot after all. Things weren't what I thought they were. And nowadays, I don't have that happen much. It's pretty much a, you know, I'm going to know the status of the ground, the access to it, all the different terrain, the habitat, you name it. And it's, it's you know, if you have any outdoor skills, you can pick out turkey stuff now from, you know, the comfort of your home and uh, just get your, you know, state walk-in or whatever we're called areas. Uh, I'm not, I can't remember what Nebraska calls their private walk-in type area program. It's not walk-in hunting as it is in Kansas. It has another name, but, you know, look at those areas, put them in, you know, on your Google and, um, it's pretty simple. I mean, turkeys are not a complicated species. You know, they they roost in timber. You know, I like to find areas where I can often pretty well know where the birds are going to be roosted. And they may not even be roosted on the property I'm hunting on. But, you know, a lot of times I'll, the premium habitat is a lot of times private that will not be open uh, to hunting. You know, the landowner will protect it. But, you know, those birds get down and travel some pretty good junkets during the day. And if you can, uh, you know, get on a piece of ground next to a, a roost or something, you'll have those birds over on you during the day if you, you know, if you put the time in and have the patience. And if you're bow hunting them, probably going to be in a blind setting and waiting anyway. So, you know, a lot of times you just need to learn how to kill midday birds, you know. Yeah, so tell me about what are the main features that you're actually looking for when you, if I, you know, if I sat you down in front of the computer and I showed you, you know, three different properties or whatever, how would you go about, if I said you have, you know, 15 minutes to look at these and tell me where you think is going to be your most productive area for a turkey hunt, what are you looking for, Eddie? Like up there in Iowa, the spot I'm fixing to go to that I've never been to it's most of the acreage is pretty well blanketed in mature timber it's big um, ridges and and canyons and there's only a couple of different places on the property that have been cleared off in small two or three acre type openings up on top of the ridges well you know that's a no-brainer to me because the birds are going to come to those places during the day to strut and um, you know uh, I'm just going to go set up in those. Uh, of course, I'll go in there and scout it. I'll put a foot to it for a day right before I start hunting. But I'm pretty sure what I'll find, um, the landowner told me that, you know, he has birds that frequent all parts of his property. So if the birds are around, they're going to come into those openings because the openings are isolated. They're secluded. They're unbothered. And turkeys love open country, you know, during the day. And they, Isolated openings are key on those birds to go to during their day for strutting grounds. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be hidden isolated. It could be uh, private isolated. In other words, no access birds that aren't getting bothered by anybody. Like a landowner has a pasture that might border a county road. I, one of the best places I ever had was a, a pastured hill that bordered the county road, but those birds would come out on that hill every day and strut all day long in the middle of the day because they were protected on that property and nobody could hunt them. Next fence over, I had access to, and, you know, I could sit up there and wave a decoy or, you know, 
make some calls and lure them over, which was perfectly fine because there isn't anything against, you know, pulling birds off of somebody else's place. And uh, so what I look for is isolated openings that are either isolated due to, you know, a landowner that I know is a, is a no hunting place or hidden openings back in wooded areas that are not getting eyeballed or, or people trafficked. And this place in Iowa has two of those type of spots. So I'm just going to go set up on them and uh, figure that uh, during the course of the day, the birds will show up and do their strutting. And uh, that is the best time to get them in anyway. You know, morning, early mornings and late evenings, you've got to be kind of in their line and travel anyway, either to or from a roost area. And uh, that's more of a travel corridor scenario, mornings and late evenings. And I like to leave them alone if I can in the late evenings. I don't even hunt them a lot in the late evenings. I let them go to roost. Because if you find out where they're roosting, you can bend the rules and hunt there close and you're going to, you know, do well. But it's it's kind of a less than what I call fully ethical way to hunt them, so I don't hunt them late in the evening. And uh, in Nebraska, it's a different ball game because if I go out west, you know, it's big open country, prairie, and, you know, there'll be cottonwood timbered bottoms, and it's easy to look at them on Google Earth and see where they're at, and you can pretty well tell where the birds will be roosted in, in cottonwood trees out there. That's the only mature timber you find until you get way up in the northwest part of the state, and then you have you know, pine timber all over. But what I do out there is um, I just, you know, walk those creek bottoms until I figure out where they're roosted at. And once I do, I'll go into a real thick, lot. there's a lot of tamarack and different kinds of brushy country. And I'll go find an isolated little opening in there. It might not even be, a, you know, 50 yards square. And you'll be able to see where they've been in there during the day strutting in a lot of times they'll have dust bowls, and uh, that's just basically case closed right there. Set up on that, and uh, let them get down in the morning and show up in the middle of the day, and uh, take a take a sandwich and a book, and enjoy yourself, enjoy a spring morning, and let the birds come to you. You know. Yeah, that's uh, some really good advice. You know, if everyone who is listening, I hope you picked up on the two patterns that. Eddie discussed that basically mirror images of each other, Eddie. And I think no matter where the listeners are hunting turkeys, you know, anywhere in this country, they can apply a lot of what you just discussed because here's the two keys, right? If you're hunting an area that's got a lot of timber, like the area that you hunt in Iowa, you can't, you yeah. can't look at an aerial photo of a big piece of ground with a lot of timber and pinpoint exactly where the birds are going to roost because they could roost in a lot of different locations. Locations. But, right. but but in an area like that, you've got limited openings, so you're keying yeah. in on those openings, and you're not necessarily all that worried about exactly where the birds are roosting. You're just anticipating that wherever they roost, they're probably making their way in the middle of the day to those openings, and so you're setting up ambushes there, and you're intercepting those birds when they show up there. And conversely, yeah. flip 
you know, the mirror image is if you're hunting turkeys somewhere where there's a lot of open country, well, then obviously you're not able to necessarily know exactly where, you know, they're spending all day, but it's a lot easier then to figure out where they're roosting because the number of trees is very limited. And so you find those small patches of timber and that's probably where you've got a flock of birds, you know, roosting at night. So there you're keying in on the roost and then just finding an area not too, too far from there where you figure they're either going to be hitting as they come down and head out for their daily travels or maybe later in the afternoon as they're making their way back toward the roost, they're going to pass through that same area again. So regardless of whether the people who are listening, you know, are hunting in a more timbered area or a more open area, you've identified, you know, some general patterns and terrain features that people can key in on. And then you can kind of narrow down your hunting area to maybe a few likely spots and focus your scouting efforts there to help you kind of get a leg up on, on getting started. Yeah, definitely. When you're in the more open country, the birds, when they get out of the morning, they'll hang around the roost for a little while and strut close to it. And then they usually will spend the first hour or two of the day close to the cover, and they'll come down. A lot of times you'll be hunting along a creek drainage or something that has timber. And I just get down the drainage three or four hundred yards and find a little isolated nook and cranny back in the brush where they can, uh, as they stroll up and down the drainage, you know, they'll usually tuck back into them little meadows and stuff and spend a little time and, uh, you know, just hunt them mid-morning, I call it, not necessarily midday, mid-morning. They'll usually show up by nine in the morning, 10 in the morning and, uh, you know, kill your bird, be out of there, leave them alone, let them you know, you can come back many times and hunt, hunt like that. If you hunt right by the roost, you can you can you can mess a roost area up, make them move. They usually have alternate roosts, even out in the big open country. They can move over a hill and go to another drainage sometimes. So you don't want to harass them around that. And besides, ethically, you know, hunting them right under a roost is not right anyway. In a sense, like shooting ducks on a pond, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's talk a little bit, you know, we've, we've talked about, you know, scouting and likely areas. Let's talk more now about specific bow hunting, you know, techniques. I know that, um, you know, you're certainly uh, a, a proponent of ground blinds when it comes to bow hunting turkeys. I would venture to guess that you do um, almost all your, your bow hunting for turkeys from a ground blind. And uh, so talk to me about, you know, the, the, the type of blind that you prefer uh, where do you like to set it up how much time do you spend you know brushing in the blind do you like to put it in the open or you know do you put it in you know next to some cover uh, and then talk to me about also the kind of a decoy setup that you like to do as well so so first with the ground blind and the details of your blind setup and then what you like to do with decoys a decoy uh, to me, you know, many years ago, it seemed like no matter where I went, it didn't matter the, how primitive the decoys were, they were effective. I don't know if the birds are evolving. I'm sure they are. But nowadays, I have quite a few scenarios for, you know, the little um, styrofoam decoys just aren't cutting it. The birds aren't liking them. They'll stand out there 40 or 50 yards and look at them and walk off. Um, recently, you know, I 
I started using some AVNX decoys that are very realistic, and I haven't had anything but good success with them. The birds have really come running to them and, you know, attack them and all really interact with them positively. As far as the blind goes, you know, I've had some bad experiences with blinds that seem that the birds, I don't know what they're seeing exactly, but they don't like it. It's its a reflective or there's something to do with some of the blinds that have a, maybe they have some type of a coating on them that reflects light or something, but the birds will top a hill, stare at the blind, turn around and, and trot off. Um, like it's too shiny or too much glare? Yeah, too shiny. They're seeing something with it they don't like. Uh, I've tried four or five of the cheaper, real lightweight uh, kind of blinds. I don't even remember the names of all of them, but they did, They were getting me burned and causing me to waste a lot of my time. I've gone back to like the double bull, the old cotton fabric blind and uh there's a new one coming out that I got to get my hands on and try from NAP. Um, I think it's called a Manus. I like a, when I hunt by myself, take a really small blind. The lighter, the better, because I'm backpacking, you know, a lot of. Yeah, stuff. Man, yeah. The, they've got that two hub, the Mantis two hub blind, a little bit of a smaller blind. That might be something right. that works really well for a solo hunter like you. Right. That's good for covering ground because out west, you know, you're, you're strapping a blind on your backpack. It's full of decoys and all your gear and everything. And, you know, it gets a little cumbersome and old. That's another reason why, you know, there's nothing wrong with throwing it all down sometimes and grabbing your shotgun and going and having some fun, you know. But uh, I just have a you know a pretty good setup that I've worked out over the years of getting everything together in that backpack and, and being able to carry it all out there and pop it up and, in the dark. And, uh, you know, that's another reason why you don't get so close to roost because you're going to make some noise and stuff in, in the dark in the morning. If you get close enough, those birds can hear that stuff going on. They're already alerted when they get down and you're, you know, you have a problem on your hands before the day ever starts. So, you know, leave the roost areas alone and get back and, uh, you know, where you can get in there in the dark of the morning and make a little bit of noise and not mess yourself up. But anyway. Yeah. Now, do you like to set your blind up kind of in the open or do you like to back, you know, the backside of it up against some bushes or, or what? And then and then once you have your blind set, where do you put your decoys in relation to your blind and what kind of decoys do you use? So tell me about your blind yeah. preference for a location and then you, how you like right. to set your decoys. <laughs> Well, I've tried it all on the blind setups. I've tried it in the thick brush, you know, right beside an opening, and then I've brushed the blind in, and it doesn't hurt anything. I don't, I don't think it hurts a bit to conceal your blind if you like. But I've come to the realization that turkeys, if you have a blind that they're not leery of, if it's a blind that they buy into, um, you can set it right out in the middle of a wide open field they won't even pay it any attention i've had turkeys standing where i could reach out the window and grab them by the neck uh you know so i wouldn't worry about concealment of the blind that much uh it doesn't hurt if you have a good setup to set it in a thicket you know looking right over the edge of an opening but if you set it right out in the middle of a meadow if the birds come in there and they like your decoy set up and and your blind is not one that is um alerting them to 
whatever it is they don't like about certain blinds, then <clears throat> you're not going to have to worry about it. You know, you're when you when you brush yourself in and get back in and thicket, you usually are limiting your shooting directions too versus setting up right out in the middle of a meadow. You can, you know, you may be able to crack a window in two or three different directions and shoot out in different directions when you're set up out in the open, which will save you missing out on some opportunities at birds because I've had many birds come in and get, you know, around on the side of a blind where I'd set up against a bush and they're, you know, not shootable from out that one side of my blind, you know. But as far as decoys go, you know, I've tried, my friend of mine has Dave Smith, the really good decoys, the high dollar ones, and the birds go crazy over them. If, you, if you're into it that much, you know, that's a pretty expensive route, but them are some of the best available. Um, like I said, ABNX is what I've been using and uh, really like them. Uh, they're very realistic and uh, they're very affordable. Um, how many how many how many decoys do you set out and and where do you arrange well, them? Usually, I use a, like a hen and a jake, but I've got like two hens now: a feeding hen and a kind of I call her a bedded hen, and a, a jake. Uh, I'll set them up usually only about ten to fifteen yards in front of my blind. Um, Turkeys, as you well know, and most people that have pursued them with a bow, you know, you'll learn pretty quickly that they're not as easy to get in possession as you think. Um, a lot of them get shot and not recovered. They're tougher to kill, so you don't want to be shooting them, you know, in my opinion, out there at distance. Get them close. I'll set my decoys up usually 15 yards in front of, you know, where I plan on whatever window I'm hoping to get the birds in front of. And uh, I'll often set the decoys maybe five yards farther and turn them looking toward me because it seems that the birds like to approach, you know, facing the decoys some. And, you know, if you turn the decoys facing towards you out at 20, you'll usually have a bird standing at 15, you know, so a lot of times facing away from you. And if you're not into the de- or the blind setup, you know, and you're a leafy, we're all natural guy and you're trying to hunt them out in the open, you know, that's a, a good way to do it too because you'll get the bird where he'll be fanned out and he'll turn his rump to you to face the decoy. And that's when you can often get your bow drawn as a open, open air hunter, you know. Sure. Now, you know, we're, we're about a half an hour into this whole discussion of bow hunting turkeys. And, you know, one thing that I'm sure all of the listeners have noticed by now is that, you know, we haven't talked about calling one bit. And, you know, I think the reason for that is, you know, I've hunted turkeys with you and, um, two things I would say about that. One, um, I would say that I really don't think of, not that you don't call, you know, and we'll talk about this some, but calling right. is, is not, I would not say that calling is the foundation of your turkey hunting strategy. And I also right. would say that, you know, your calling is, you know, fine, but I wouldn't, think that you've got any, you know, grand national championship trophies or anything like that on your mantle at home. So, you know, and I say that not to obviously uh, insult you, Eddie, but to be an encouragement, you know, it's actually to be an encouragement, you know, to to myself and everyone else who's listening. You do not have to be an expert turkey caller to successfully bow hunt turkeys. No, not at all. I, I, you know, uh, the birds, it's just like elk calling too. I've never, you know, I've killed 
semi-load of bulls, and I've called them in. I'm not that great a caller, but it's more about wood savvy and knowing what, when and where and how the bull's going to respond, same thing with turkeys. Um, you know, I just like to cold call a few yelps, soft yelps over 15, 20, 30 minutes, you know, just because if a turkey hears me at all, I've accomplished what I'm out to do. The rest is up to him. Uh, I'm sure there are experts that know every song and dance for them and can call them in when they don't want to come in. But, you know, I rely on other things, uh, being set in the right place, knowing where the birds are going to be, and making a setup that they're comfortable to come to more than just trying to lure them in with calls. Um, I'm sure there's another level of that out there that... Um, the the real premium expert turkey guys, you know, employ, and that's an art in itself, and I have admiration for that. But you're correct; I don't rely much on the the necessity of being an expert caller whatsoever. Yeah, and um, now as far as the calling that you that you mm-hmm. do, um, yeah. You use quite a few friction calls, right? I mean, you kind of like a slate call or a gra- glass call. I think I've seen you use that right. quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, right. like you say, you usually just wait until, you know, maybe you call just a few times when the birds are yet on the roost, if you're within earshot of them. And then once they get right. down, you don't do a whole lot of calling. And when you have birds then that actually get into your setup, or do you tend to call, you know, much at all, if at all, at that point when the birds are relatively close no i've went through many different you know levels of effort there with different people some of them being professional quality callers and it's just been my finding that you know if you have a bird that's going to come in to me i don't see any reason to be calling that bird uh you there's too many things that, and, you know, I, I can't read their mind and I don't talk their language. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to say that you can't do better with birds if you're professional and you know exactly whatever sound is and when to use it. But I don't think there's probably very many people who hunt turkeys that are of that caliber of their, you know, knowing their behavior and their vocalizations. So I just, you know, try to get their attention from a distance so that they'll come take a look at what's over there. And then I present them with hopefully a good appealing decoy setup, and of course a blind that does not draw any attention. You know, they don't even consider that that object is there, and then they will respond on their own. If you get a group of birds that's not coming, then nine times out of ten they're not coming, even if you call them. And I, I've sat there and watched them when they're on a route headed somewhere, and they got a mission, especially going to roost in the evening or something. You're not calling them in, really. You, uh, wasting your time so i just give them a few i call you know soft yelps and a few clucks here and there maybe once in a great while a cackle you know i love to hear them gobble and that always elicits gobbles if i have some really goofy birds that i know are going to run in and commit suicide i'll play with them a little bit and get them to you know get them excited but other than that calling to me is really not even much more than just i call it a grab their attention so that they'll come take a peek and see what's over the hill deal for me. And, uh, you know, let's transition now into talking about the actual equipment that you like to use when it comes to killing turkeys. Um, Do you use, 
uh, any type of gear for bow hunting turkeys, that's different than what you'd use in the fall, say, when you're hunting, you know, elk or whitetails. And if so, you know, tell me why you'd change something from your, you know, big game setup. Right. The only thing I do a little different is the, the broadhead itself, all my archery gear and all of my accessories are just basically what I hunt with all season for big game. I will go to a slightly wider broadhead um, because, you know, I shoot them close. I don't have to worry about, you know, some of the inherent problems with wide fixed blade broadheads that you may get with wind planting and accuracy out it you know, 40 plus yards because I'm not going to be shooting that far. So, you know, I will use these big wide heads or about an inch and a half wide fixed blades and I'll put it right through the middle of their boiler room and I just really don't have much of a problem with ever losing a bird. And if I have lost ones because I, you know, got target panic and stabbed the release and dropped my bow and didn't shoot the bird well or something, if I put this wide broadhead through the middle of their body cavity, you know, I recover my birds and I, I usually shoot them at 15, 18, 20 yards. So I have good accuracy at that range. And so as far as equipment wise, very little of anything different except a little bit wider broadhead to cut a bigger hole and get a little bit more of the foot pounds of the energy of the boat into the body of the bird. Uh, they can be hard to penetrate through a 70-pound bow and a wide broadhead. You know, sometimes you don't shoot them through a turkey. And uh, I like to be able to break wings and uh, chop through ribs and break backs and stuff if necessary. Yeah, where do you like to aim on your turkeys, Eddie? Is there a particular, you know, landmark on the the body that you like to key in on when you're lining your pin up for a shot? And maybe that changes a little bit depending on, you know, what angle the bird's standing at relative to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the angle of the bird's important to me. I try to shoot them broadside. That's my preferred angle. And about, you know, down below the you know, the, the line of the backbone by about two inches. I like to shoot them, their lungs and their cavities kind of high. I like to shoot them, you know, above center if I can. And, uh, you know, I, I will take a shot at a bird, you know, facing straight forward or walking straight away um, if it's close. And I know I can get the broad head right where I want it. You just got to get a, a subconscious picture of their anatomy. And it's good to, you know, to get some uh, diagrams and look at, at their bone structure in different positions and look at their internal organs set up in different so that you can keep that subconscious in your mind because a lot of people have a tendency to shoot turkeys too low like from the middle of their body or even lower and that's not good at all um they're more of a higher from center up type impact zone and of course there's guys that shoot them in the head and there's equipment for doing that. Uh, I haven't went that without myself. Uh, I've had as good a luck as I could ask for just shooting them broadside through the boiler room at close range with a fairly wide broadhead. And um, I guess, you know, the last thing would be, 
obviously, once you have a turkey on the ground, um, you know, what's some of your favorite things to do with a turkey as far as, uh, you know, eating them? And uh, do you have any particular recipes? And do you, you know, a lot of people I know just uh, on these wild birds, you tend to go for, you know, the breasts meat and not so much maybe the leg meat because they think it's tough or whatever. What do you do with your turkeys, Eddie? And do you have any uh, good advice for uh, other people as far as uh, some things to do to make a good use as much of that bird as you can? Well, being a southerner, we come from the old fry everything, you know, line of thinking, and we'll just strip the breast or bone the breasts out and strip them up and fry them in any kind of different batter. That's our favorite way, just like chicken strips. And, uh, you know, as far as the legs go, I haven't come up with a good system to make them extremely desirable. Um, they're edible. They have a lot of fiber and a lot of fine bone in them, or a tendon anyway. And I think probably steaming them or pressure cooking or something is the best way to go with them. But they're definitely wild birds. They're not your butterball from Safeway. So, you know, there's just a lot there that I myself haven't learned yet on the preparation of the legs to make them, um, you know, a lot of times the ones I have had were, were pressure cooked and the meat was peeled off. You mm-hmm. know, where you have just the pure meat left off the legs. It's dark meat and it's really good and delicious, but it takes a lot of work to get it down to a final product. Uh, mainly a chicken strip or turkey breast strip fryer. That's the way we like to do them. We have them a lot for supper and lunch and uh, put them in buttermilk batter and, you know, just fry them up and. Get a little cholesterol in the process. Well, you got to have a little bit, you know. Keeps everything lubricated on the inside. Yeah, I need all the lubrication I can get now as I as I get older. <laughs> well, um, I guess you know, sort of in conclusion, a lot of good information, yeah. you know, in this interview. By the way, I really appreciate it, and I think that people are going to get a lot out of it. But uh, um, I. Um, just wondering, you know, where you sort of rank your turkey hunting in your annual calendar of, of hunts. You know, obviously, you know, like we discussed at the beginning, it's not maybe quite as glamorous as shooting a 350-inch bull or a 170-inch whitetail. But uh, on the other hand, you know, it's kind of the first opportunity to get get out again after the long winter so um it's kind of kind of exciting in that regard isn't it it is it's it's really uh you know a bonus season to me because i haven't been a spring bow hunter much of my life i've added bear onto the spring deal now and between a turkey trip and a outing for bear somewhere you know i have a whole new horizon open to me now and i love it springtime is just a mental and physical high because you've endured the cold and the dead of winter and it's a great time to be a field and it's excitement it's fun uh most of my big game hunting is more i don't know i guess i'd put it more focused and and intense uh, to where i don't probably smell the roses like i should when i'm after antler game i kind of get narrow between the eyes and uh turkey hunting i just enjoy myself have a good time commune with mother nature thank the good lord for life and health and uh enjoy myself that's what i like about the spring turkey season 
Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a stress free hunt. You know, it's not the end of the world if you're if you're right. not if you're not successful, or even if you have a couple a couple opportunities that don't work out. You know, and you're not able to get that shot or whatever because there's always more yep. birds. You know, somewhere yep. not too far away, yep. and you can just uh, go look for some more turkeys. You know, if it doesn't work out with the first group, and uh, like you yep. say, you know, just uh, just a great time to enjoy getting back outside and appreciating you know some sunshine on your shoulders after all those cold months so you know Eddie excellent go ahead. excellent for kids get your kids out get them started with turkeys are a great way to have them break the ice you know absolutely absolutely I'm actually going to be getting my kids out here uh, real soon uh, for a turkey yep. hunt and uh, looking forward to that well Eddie it's always a pleasure you know uh, yeah uh, appreciate your time I, I know that uh, you know I always appreciate uh, your your insights and I think that you know our listeners and readers do as well because nobody you know quite uh, posts the success rate on DIY bow hunts that you do so um, you know appreciate having you as part of the team I've been getting some good feedback from folks about your new DIY column that you've got on the back page so um, you know you just you bring an awful lot to the team here at Peterson's Bow Hunting so keep up the great work well thank you it's my privilege and my honor and I'm blessed and uh, hope to meet you out in Kansas for a little while this spring okay sounds great my friend thank you so much thank you for listening to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio the official podcast of hardcore bow hunters pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com